0: Need a little time for me to just be free of the daily. I Need a little time for You're listening to Selfish, finding me time when there's no time. In this episode of Selfish, we talk to the lovely Pam Cotman, who is a resilience coach and trainer, a blogger at Psychologies Magazine and a former assistant head teacher. Welcome, welcome back to Selfish. And this week, we've got an amazing guest, uh, Pam. But we're going to let, I'm going to let Pam introduce herself in a minute. But firstly, let's chat about the week that we've just been through. Uh,
1: Amy, come on, tell us about your week. You know what? It's not actually been awful. <laughs> Yay! Um, I think we're all a little bit irritable. I think everyone is at that the way to describe, and this this is going to make you roll your eyes, but the way it is, you know where you really need the toilet, you really need a wee, and you're really close to home, and actually you're more desperate the closer to home you get because you know yeah. the end is inside. I feel like we're all a little bit like that. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love that description. Yeah, it's a brilliant analogy, isn't it? Everyone else would come up with something more sensible. I'm doing it about a wee. You can tell I live with boys, can't you? <laughs> um, but no, it's been all right. I think we're recording this episode the week that um the hormone episode went live and I've seen a real um ripple on social media which I found quite reassuring and it's also been um nice to hear back from people who have been reassured themselves yeah um, and I'm hoping that over the next few months we might again see some changes if lockdown's lifted whether our hormones will you know, I'm, I'm interested to see if our hormones continue on in this slightly frantic fashion or when life starts to resume, if people will start feeling a little bit better on that side of things. Yeah. So no, I'm all right. How are you?
0: Oh, I think we would need to just zoom through my week because it was my <laughs> nan's funeral that I had to arrange and also had my COVID jab. So let's just not go there. Let's go straight. Did you have side effects? I did. I was really ill actually. But um. It's fine because it's worth it. I think I just I had the uh yeah. what's the one with the beginning with the A?
1: AstraZeneca. That's the
0: one. So I, I just had oh yeah, I just had like a dead arm and then felt a bit fluy and felt quite sick, but it was 24 hours and then absolutely fine. And my That's husband good. was the same, but I think it's worth it. Absolutely worth it. Yes, yes. Brilliant. But anyway, I'm not going to I'm I'm going to let Pam tell you all about her because she's pretty magical. And um, a coach and resilience trainer. Pam,
2: please introduce yourself to our lovely listeners. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Hi, everybody. So, I'm Pam Cotman. I am a resilience coach and trainer and speaker. And I work with um, individual clients. I work in schools, which is my background, and with organizations of all kinds of varieties, I seem to have found myself in, um, just working with people to help them. The latest thing someone says was kind of debunk myths around what resilience is and help people to grow a bit of a toolkit to enable them to cope with the inevitable change and stress and challenge that life throws at us. No more so than in the past year, of course. But um, yeah, normally I like to work with people before we hit a stage of great <laughs> uncertainty and challenge um, yes. because we're, you know, a little bit more able to take stuff on board. but. Yeah, there's been a fair amount of offering of those tools in the past year too, for sure.
0: Oh my gosh, there has. Now, you know, you used to be
2: a former head teacher, is that right? I was an assistant head teacher, yeah, for a yeah. number of years in a, wow. a
0: special so school. That wow, must really help school. you do what you do now.
2: It was where it started. My work on resilience started when I was coming back to work after my first maternity leave, and I'd been an assistant head, but in charge of six form for a while, and you know, supporting the students and staff and parents with all all manner of stuff. And I sat down with our school counsellor who I'd worked with for years and I was taking on this new role, kind of head of all the pastoral stuff in school and said, look, is there any one thing that you think underpins or is a kind of common thread through the challenges that our students are facing that you're working with? And she said, resilience, our kids don't have enough of it. So when they hit any sort of stumbling block, be it in friendships or academics or pressure or just anything life might throw at you they don't have the wherewithal to manage it and so that started me on a year of research and what are other schools doing and how do you create something in school around mental health and well-being and resilience and working with my team to do the same and it just sort of grew from there so it went from something that was very much student focused to one member a lovely member of my team called Sarah saying I think the staff might need some of this, you know. (laughs) If if we're going to create this for the kids, we don't want it to live in a bubble, as stuff so often does in just one one lesson in the timetable. That they maybe have that for six weeks in PSHE, and then they're like, "Oh, that hasn't got anything to do with anything else." And they just forget about it. It needed to be something bigger, so it became a program for staff around well-being as well. I was working with parents and governors and. And when I went on my second maternity leave, I didn't go back and had no idea what I was going to do, but I just knew I wanted to do something different. And that resilience thing was just this thing in the back of my head going, you like reading about this stuff, you like you like talking about this stuff. And so trained, qualified as a coach, still a bit kind of oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this, but actually uh, I I love it. It was the best move I ever made. And you're absolutely right. I what I'm noticing, whatever context I'm working in, the The tools that I talk about are exactly the same in schools or the NHS or an insurance company or wherever. It doesn't matter. They're sort of universal and you can start work on them at any age. So, yes, it has been hugely helpful. um, And it's been fascinating to see what's happened with it in the past year in all contexts.
1: That's so interesting. I must admit, I've never heard of it. I'm I'm now sitting there because I've got a a son in secondary school and they have something called Aspire Day where they talk about the future and but they also talk about their well-being and even during lockdown they had an aspire day which was talking about self-care amazingly so I was like yes we could definitely do that that's, that's one of the schooling I can do at home that I actually know what I can talk about but um so do you think um the lack of resilience in young people is a new thing or do you think it's just been noticed more because we are a lot more self-aware these days
2: I think that's a really great question. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's a really great question. I I think it's an interesting one. I mean, the context in which I taught, I taught in a girls' grammar school where the pressure was massive. And that, that was pressure that the girls would put on themselves because I'm in a grammar school, therefore I must achieve up here all the time. And, and that kind of perfectionist mm-hmm. tendency was what, I mean, I went to a grammar school, so I, I kind of recognised yes. that as well. Um, But it came from parents and it came from teachers under pressure to perform as well. So I I think I think it's there. I think what I noticed naturally, I'm now I can see a slide in my head that I remember sharing with staff six, seven years ago. I think things have changed. I mean, even if you think about the way that GCSEs are graded, I think I was maybe the first year where A stars were introduced Mm -hmm. and, you know, as if an A wasn't good enough. And then they've gone to this numerical system because an A-star wasn't good enough. So now we've got a nine that at the point teachers are like, I don't know what a nine is. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have anything to show us what a nine is. So there's just this, and you know, the introduction of the A-star at A-level. So I think there has been a, a narrative that kids pick up on that, well, the, the goalposts keep, keep moving and they're getting yeah. higher. Yeah, I don't know if goalposts get higher. Expectations have been raised. Yeah, the right? bar is being raised all the time. And if you think about the sort of language you get in the media around results day, or A levels are getting easier, you talk to any A level kid, or GCSE kid, or, or someone who is finding school difficult, because it's not easy, then what do they then internalise about what they're supposed to be achieving? And, oh, you know, I got a B, and I'm really proud of that, or a C or a D, and I'm really proud of that. But that's not perceived as good enough in the way in which it's reported. So uh, I I think it's a great question. And I, if I think back to when I was at school, we, we weren't told or talked about any nothing like this was talked about um and I think there is more conversation around it and it's that balancing thing of are kids talking about it more because we're starting to talk about it more in schools or are they talking about it more because actually there is more pressure and they're more aware of it because of the media social media they're just more exposed to this kind of Mm -hmm. stuff that we never were back in the day
1: I, I I went to a grammar school and I um I think that it's good that um this is an option now because the grammar school I went to was very very old school um it was very you couldn't show weakness if you weren't very good at one subject you probably weren't very good at the rest um a sporting it was a very sporting school and if you weren't sporty you were not really worthwhile um and I mean I was very lucky I could just I'm I could scrape around in the middle, if that makes sense. I didn't have any, I wasn't above the radar, but I wasn't below the radar. But, but it, there'd also be a, a very big, um, it was just a very stiff upper lip atmosphere. You couldn't show weakness. And I do think on hindsight, literally just thinking about this now, it has been ingrained in me because I have really high expectations of myself. My parents always said I could do what I wanted if I tried, but not in a pushing whereas the expectations from the grammar school were really hard you know like you say I remember getting my GCSE results and sobbing because I was just so relieved that I'd passed and they weren't really the be-all and end-all and and it's something that I've tried really hard to ingrain in my kids that I don't care about results as long as they give their best Mm. but I sometimes worry that almost I'm too soft in that if that makes sense because I do I said sats don't care as long as you can look me in the eye and tell me you've done your best but when does that change when it you know because there has to be a bit of a you can do all your best but you've got to get you you've got to get a job (laughs) and you've got to you know pay your rent and everything so I do worry I don't want to go too fluffy
2: it is it is a hard balance my husband and I say the same thing he worked in the same grammar school as I did for a number of for hmm. a number of years um and, and we we feel the same way and and it's interesting I've heard a lot recently about people saying "Oh, I just want my kids to be happy and then there's oh well we don't want to be putting them under pressure to feel like they have to be happy all the time because that's not realistic either you know we want them to be we want them to be able as you said to be able to try their best and do go off and do in the in the world but to have a base of of being and feeling okay as who they are no matter what's going on around them. And I, and I think, I mean, it's interesting what you were saying there. I've got friends who still, well, it's, a, it's, an, it's a running joke, but your sort of status uh, is kind of established in school in some way. So the, the running joke with friends is, oh, I, I'm bottom set maths. You know, bottom set maths in a, in a grammar school, they were still getting unbelievably good results, but they see themselves as bottom set maths. And, and I, I do the the, the label, the, the labelling that comes in school for all kinds of different reasons that has no agenda behind it beyond we're trying to teach you in the best way that we can or we're trying to support you in the best way that we can. But it really does stick with you. I think it, it becomes ingrained. So I think that's where the earlier we can start these conversations and then with my in my work with adults, the sooner I can get in and help unpick that labelling yeah. and that, that stuff that we're carrying around with us that we have been told is important that maybe we might still think is important, but we might not is it's such a weight and such a baggage for a lot of people. And it really, you know, and I include myself in that. It can really hold us back when we think, well, we've got to be brilliant. We've got to be perfect. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to, and actually pausing and thinking, well, what, what's actually important to me? And, and then how do I enable myself to move forward with that? I think is, a big part of what I do on resilience and actually it's a really big part of self-care just pausing and thinking what is the chat going on up here is it supporting me is it a caring supportive voice or is it just constantly going eh, 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 you need to do this which isn't particularly caring or helpful but is so common to so many of us
1: um, I think that's brilliant I I think you're you're making my mind spin a little bit because you're making me think quite a lot because I thinking, I've got two children I've got one that we joke and we say it's a good job he's pretty because he he's he's not in, academically inclined at all he shows no he's He goes to school because it's social. He likes his social life. Um, He goes through school. He works very hard at being under the radar so that he can do the bare minimum and still do all right. And then I have another one who is very um, academically driven and he's a perfectionist and he's very, very hard on himself. And I always thought I would worry about the one who's not academic more, but actually I'm sitting there thinking he's he's in a much better place because he's obviously quite confident in himself and he's, he's you know, he laughs at himself. He still can't spell sausage. It's one, his grandparents ask him every time they see him spell sausage and he laughs at it because he knows that he can't spell it. It's just one of those words that you can't... I still can't spell definitely. Um, but my youngest, he puts an awful lot of pressure on himself and I have to work very hard not to join in with that because again because I'm a perfectionist I don't want him to have my traits of perfection so I'm trying to sort of say to him oh it doesn't matter if you don't get 100% in your maths test it doesn't matter if you don't beat your teacher and this (laughs) even though in my head I'm like oh go on do it (laughs) because that's who I am but I have to listen I have to learn from I've learned more you know I have to practice what I preach I'm very big on that so I have to give myself that talking to as well I think
2: home learning for lots of people was a real it was as much a learning about us and and the way we work and what we think is okay as it was about anything else I remember seeing or talking to one of the other mums from school in the first lockdown and she was realizing how much of her perfectionism and standard and whatever she was kind of projecting and then you know and my kids are seven well they were three and six when lockdown started last year so you know our kids at that point were six and and she did exactly the same thing a real kind of step back and go right (laughs) this isn't this isn't about you this is about me let's focus on you and what you need and thinking about what you were saying too around the way we just naturally label our kids and the kind of kids they are and differentiate them it really made me think of the, the conversations that I have with people around growth mindset. And I think the grammar school thing is a really interesting thing there too, because you, and I've talked to kids and parents and teachers in that context around the sort of the clever label. So the work I do around growth mindset is very much around when we label people, it then sets an expectation. If you're clever, what happens if you're doing a bit of work and it's difficult that the, what's the men sets in is a, Oh God, well, if I can't do this, then, then, then who am I? I'm not clever anymore. And if that's my label and if that's what people think I am, then who am I? So instead working, instead of labels focusing on learning and effort and progress and skills, I mean, that's, that's useful. And, you know, I just finished a group coaching program with a, with a group of leaders last week and, and we were, talking about the importance of discussing skills at work you know so much of what we do in schools and at work is very outcome focused it's results it's have I met this target it's what can you tell me on your performance management appraisal review thing we're instead focusing on skills so when we do it as parents for our kids as leaders for our teams you know talking about how they've been creative or problem solving or evaluative or we're a really great communicator or just trying hard, all of those things, if we nurture and foster those kind of skills, if we label those skills out loud, then we're always learning. It doesn't matter whether we're clever or not, we're always having a go, we're always practicing that skill and knowing that it's one that we can try in a different context. And that that for me really helps when I when I find myself doing the labeling of saying, oh no, step back, let's focus instead on what you're doing and trying to praise the skill rather than the outcome of what they're doing.
0: I think I like what you're saying about um, forever learning, and I think for me, um, you know, you're talking bottom set maths. That was me. <laughs> so uh, homeschooling, uh, work set by a prep school. <laughs> wow, uh, year five and year six maths. Hello, <laughs> algebra. What? <laughs> and I and I was, I was just honest, and I said, you know, I didn't say ever say I was bottom set maths I said I always struggled with numbers you know mummies always struggle with numbers and that's not a bad thing that's not a bad thing and I always say it's a bit like uh, try and make it fun a bit like uh, Doctor Who always has to try and solve the riddle at the end of the you know the end of the episode and he always manages it it just takes a while and I'm a bit like Doctor Who so I take about an hour (laughs) (laughs) Hours episode to work it out with a bit of help from YouTube, um, but you know my my kids love that and and it's become a bit of a joke, but not in a negative way. Mummy struggles a bit with numbers. It's okay, mummy will help you because you're still learning. And I oh, think well, I, that's, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, but that that is yeah. I have carried that with with me in my family. Everyone knows, you know. Obviously, in the eighties, we would say awful things like thick and a bit stupid and a bit dumb with numbers and and I always used to laugh it off but I did carry it with me to the point when we started homeschooling when maths was there I'd start sweating I'd start thinking I can't do this because I am stupid I am a bit thick when it comes to maths which I'm not I'm just
2: struggle a bit with numbers it's not you know and I think that will have come up for so many parents I mean I think just your kids starting school takes you back to being at school just by Mm. default of the school gates and the interactions and the friendships and the learning bit. But as I was listening to what you were saying, I just, I see it as a real opportunity. Like I love the fact that you said to your kids, you struggle with maths because whether you're a parent or a leader Anything that you do that dispels the myth that you have it all nailed and you're perfect gives the people around you permission to not have to be perfect either. So if you say, I really struggle with maths, it gives them permission to go, I really struggle with maths, English, science, you know, whatever it is. And the same with leaders, the number of um, people I've spoken to in leadership roles who you know, maybe been in a role for quite a while, and they have someone new coming in, someone in their 20s, who are terrified of making a mistake, because they assume that everybody else around them is perfect. So, you know, the sooner we can start that, nobody's perfect, we all make mistakes, and use that kind of stuff as an opportunity to say to your kids, yeah, I find that really hard too, I sometimes found this helped, or, yeah, I found that really hard. I used to ask my teacher, whatever it is, you're, you're giving them a real example of, of how to manage the tough stuff so they don't feel like they have to figure it all out on their own. They don't feel like they have to be perfect and nothing less than that is good enough. It, it just allows them to be a bit fallible it's the whole comparison culture
0: as well i mean i know as adults like we've got the whole social media we've talked about this before amy in previous episodes haven't we about comparing yourself to other people strangers on the internet and i know that for kids as well they really do compare no matter how much you tell them not to don't worry that tom you know is top of the class and amazing and gets 100% all the time it doesn't matter because you know, as long as you're doing your best, but for them, it really does matter. What do you mm. say to people who feel like they're not good enough, and kids who feel that like they're not good enough, but adults as well? You know, when you're comparing yourself to strangers on the internet, we all do it. What advice do you give to people who feel themselves doing that, or can see that their kids do that a lot?
2: There's there's a couple of different things that come to mind. One is a practice that I really love doing as an exercise with. People and that I'm not good enough comes up as a real limiting belief for people a lot. It's one that kind of resonates with me as well. And so, with any kind of belief or labeling that you have of yourself, there are normally three questions that I ask people to to think about. The first is, is it true? So to really dig that apart a bit and say, is it true? So you know, whatever the belief is, but if it's I'm good enough, you know, essentially what you're doing is asking people for some, some evidence to say that you are or you aren't good enough. The next question is, is it useful? And most of the time, a belief that holds us back. Yeah, it might it might preserve us a little bit. It might be a protective thing that stops us from stepping out of our comfort zone and failing. Failing in inverted commas. <laughs> um, but is it useful? Often when I work with clients of any age, it's actually, no, It's it's not nice that I think that about myself. I wouldn't say that about somebody else. And then the last question is, if you knew the opposite were true, so however you want to define the opposite, maybe it's I'm good enough or I'm enough. You always kind of encourage them to choose it. If you knew the opposite were true, what would you do or what would that change for you? And it's a real opportunity for people to recognize that your thoughts are just that. They don't define you. They're not always true. And and quite often they're not particularly useful, but you have a choice as to what you choose to take forward. So, with the I'm, I'm not good enough, it's so common, but when we pick it apart and maybe choose something a little bit more supportive to think, and then I often get clients to write it on a post-it note, so it might live on your laptop or on your bathroom mirror or, or you know, a screenshot on your phone, whatever you choose, it's a visible reminder, a sort of positive affirmation is what it can become, to say actually there's there's something else I can choose, so you know, even at the start of last week i had a couple of things i was doing that i was a bit oh i'm not sure about this i don't know if i could do this but was repeating to myself i can do this i'm enough and it was just it was a it was a voice to challenge the voice in your head going mm, you can't do this often saying it like that helps like you can't do this This makes <laughs> annoying and "Right, i'm not having you around but it is it's a practice and it's not something it's not it's not something that changes overnight most people and i include myself in this most people i know working with any kind of belief or label that's holding you back it, it is a practice that you need to work on um and to notice sometimes it's maybe trying to help you just protect you a bit but more often than not it, it can be holding us back so that's that's probably the main thing that i suggest when people are feeling that oh, i'm not good enough good
0: advice well. really good advice i uh, i mean we, we talk about self-care we talk about self-care and you help lots of you know um Teenagers, older children um, and adults. Do you practice what you preach? <laughs> uh, most
2: of the time, <laughs> I think. And, I, and I, I again I'm quite happy to hold myself <laughs> up as not being perfect because I don't I don't know who anybody, anybody who is. So you know, I follow a number of people on Instagram who are, you know, real experts in self-care. And I love it when they say, oh, I'm having a rubbish week or, I haven't slept very well, or but no, I mean, I, I I try to practice what I preach and I try, but I also try not to set myself up for failure. So, um, you know, I don't say I know that sleep is really important. It's a real cornerstone of of self-care. Um, so last week I was making a really conscious effort not to watch another and another and another episode of whatever it was I was watching. <laughs> I, guess I really all enjoy it. And I, you know, that feels like self-care, that bit at the end of the day where I just go, oh, thank God, everyone's asleep. I can just sit and watch the last few episodes of Series 9 of Suits and, uh, and just immerse myself in, in that world. But the knock-on impact, if I do stay and watch three episodes of that, is I'm going to be knackered the next day. And then, and then the impact it has for me is, you know, I talked about growth mindset before. I look at mindset now with people as a real spectrum so growth mindset are one and fixed end mindset are the other one. And I oscillate between the two depending on what's going on. But if I'm tired, I find myself right back down to that fixed mindset end of like, oh no, it can't do it. This is too much. I got it's just head exploding, can't focus. So I know that sleep is really important. And the other kind of I talk about a core four of self-care. So sleep is one, but alongside that is sort of rest and, and relaxation and breathing, really building on the work of Susie Redding. I don't know if you've come across her on Instagram, but she is brilliant on self-care. Also a parent, also very realistic about it, but she is absolutely fab. And, and, but what I love about her work is she says... She puts rest, relaxation and breathing in the same category in her work on um, sleep because she knows that it's not always easy to come by. You know, if you're a new parent, (laughs) we all know that well. If you're a parent with kids who are older and just wake up in the middle of the night or you're anxious or you've been going through a pandemic, there's all kinds of things that can get in the way of our sleep. So even if sleep has been really hard work, she says, you know just taking some time to breathe taking some time to rest in the day and it doesn't have to be for long that can make a real difference and I think that's one of the things that's really helped me practice self-care is just consciously notice in the day when I stop I think parents in particular women in particular we are very I going to say guilty I don't want to use that word we are we're just programmed to be on the go all the time I'll just yeah. do this I'll just do that I'll just do the other uh-huh. and that just 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 tends to be for other people or for work it's not often oh I'll just make myself a cup of tea and sit here for five minutes that for me is the exception rather than the norm mm-hmm. so the idea of her work and saying look you know just take five minutes or Rangan Chatterjee's great on this and his book Feel Better in Five and I heard um, Arianna Huffington so the former editor-in-chief of the Huffington Post and now CEO of Thrive Globals, Thrive Global have just come out with a new book that talks about micro steps, like Susie Redding's Micro Moments, just the 60 to 90 second resets that we can do that enable us, just they just top us back up, they finish the stress cycle yeah. and just enable us to keep going a bit more easily. So, yeah, I don't always practice what I preach, but I think I I am conscious enough now of the menu of self-care that works for me that if I have gone x number of days and I haven't been for a walk or if I've gone x number of days and I haven't gone to bed a bit earlier or or just stopped as much for my kids to see as for me I think that's one thing I'm really conscious of I have two boys and a lots of people talk about modeling good stuff for their girls I want my boys to see it. it's important to rest here. like you Amy I've got one who is real you know, wants to do the best, be the best. You know, real perfectionist, and I want him to learn that it's okay to stop. I mean, he's very good at stopping in front of the TV, but just <laughs> gently, I, I want, I want um, my kids to
1: to see the value of self care, yeah. even
2: at Littley's age.
1: Yeah. Do you um, do you think that part of building resilience and self care, um, self care is often talked about as um, going for a walk or sitting still? But do you actually also believe to work alongside the resilient side of things part of self-care is actually pushing yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit or maybe doing a task that you've not you're not looking forward to that you're dreading I always say and I think I talked about in a previous episode how it took me probably about five years to get my car key replaced because (laughs) and it literally was because it had fallen apart because I'm not the sort of person who I'm awful at picking up the phone and making a call about something that I'm not completely sure about. Um, and when I did it, I, it's so silly. I felt brilliant. <laughs> oh, my car keys fixed. And it's, they're coming to fix it in two days. And my husband goes, you could have done that five years ago or three years ago or whatever. But because i put it off, it was almost a self-care moment to have achieved it. And I, I think it's really important to say that self-care isn't just stopping. Yeah and thinking it's about achieving stuff that's on your plate that's bothering you isn't it
2: yeah i think it can be i mean my i'm big on core fours of everything four is my favorite number and i've realized now it kind of is a thread through all of my resilience <laughs> stuff but when i talk about resilience i talk about self care as one bit of it i talk about confidence and how we build it as another i talk about growth mindset and i talk about values so to your point around pushing, nudging yourself out of your comfort zone and doing the stuff you don't want to do, it is absolutely about growth mindset. You know, people mm. don't become successful, however you define success, by just sort of sitting still all the time it is about how you how you can nudge yourself out of your comfort zone how you can be inspired rather than threatened by other people to say well how did they do it just getting really curious about how you can make stuff move forward and I think the confidence piece is a big part of that and I think we do get a boost when we dare to try something different even if it is replacing your keys or for me the I'm still working through the third of my postgrad third and final of my postgrad coaching essays and it is proper eat the frog stuff for me, as in like, if I don't do it, it will continue to be. ugh. But if I do it okay. first thing in the morning, if I eat the frog first thing in the morning, then I know that I can get it done. And I will feel a real sense of achievement from that. And, and that's where I think, again, you know, I try and expand the, the definitions of resilience with self-care. It's the same thing. Again, you look at Susie Redding's book, Self-Care Revolution, and there are eight different component parts to it. And goals is one of them, you know, making <clears> sure that the goals are in alignment with your values and what's important to you. But enabling yourself encouraging yourself to move forward with stuff even the tricky stuff is absolutely part of self-care yeah
0: i want to talk to you all day because <laughs> you, you've got wow just so much information and i i want people to know more where can they find you if they want to know more and i've seen some of your instagram posts which uh, suck me in with their amazing uh, advice where can people find
2: you So you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn at Pam Cotman. I also have a Facebook group, Resilient Women. Sorry to any gents in the audience. Um, (laughs) But that comes from many, many years of working in a girls' school and lots of of women. So yes, my Facebook group, Resilient Women. And then my website is pamcotman.com. So you can find me there. And if you have questions, queries, issues, anything that you want to ask as a result of this, then feel free to message me there. Or my email address is pam at pamcotman.com.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on Selfish today. Thank you very much. I need a little time for me To just be free of the daily I need a little time for myself If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on social media, Selfish Podcast UK.